what's new with you? That's a common question, isn't it? When you see someone coffee shop, you see someone at work, see someone at church, what's new with you? I want you to focus on that question for a moment. What is new with you in your life? Now, you might be thinking of various things. You might be thinking of maybe some material things. I know I walk around my garage and I see a bunch of old stuff, a bunch of wore out stuff that probably should be in the trash. And then I've got this like section of my garage where I have my little prized possessions. My little two-wheeled friends are in there with all that that is. And got a little bike, almost like a little bike shop set in there with stand and tools. And then, but it's surrounded by a bunch of old stuff that I just shoved to the side and I want to focus on this. And you know there's a lot of old, right? A lot of wore out things in our life. And sometimes those wore out things, those things that we still just kind of around our lives, kind of the stuff, right? And it, it's there, but the stuff can be tolerated. The stuff, I don't know, it's kind of hard to let go of some of the stuff because it's memories and it's boxed up stuff and it's, I don't know, just kind of stuff. But then, after that clutters our garage or, you know, clutters the hallway or wherever we keep that stuff, But there's also some things in your heart and in your mind that are cluttering you, that are old, old ways of thinking, old perspectives, an old worldview. And what I mean by old is I mean before you came to faith in Jesus. Before you came to faith in Jesus, perhaps you saw the world a certain way, you had certain beliefs and certain mindsets, and once you started coming to faith in Jesus and you started to look at some of those things through the lens of Scripture, you maybe started to change some things. You started to think some different ways. I remember when I became a Christian October 12th, 1985, at the age of 14. I know my worldview changed right there at an altar of prayer in the first time that I stepped into a church in that place. I've been into church my life before that probably two times in a little children's thing or a little bus or a little thing, but we we weren't raised in the church, but three times before the age of 14, I found myself in a church just for whatever odd reason, and it wasn't with my parents, Um, but my parents became Christians about three or four months before I did, and then I became a Christian on that date that I gave you, and then I remember going home, and I remember thinking through some things about my life, and I remember walking into my bedroom and seeing things that I had collected over the months and years, just kind of there, and I remember looking around that space, and you know, it was... (laughs) For some of you, you remember this. Back in the mid-80s, it was the heavy metal scene and, you know, you know that kind of thing with my, my dad would look at album covers or cassette cases. Remember those? He would look at those and go, why, do you have, why are there girls on there? Like, what's the, and he's like, I'm like, Dad, those, aren't, those, are, those are men. And he goes, well, they don't look like it. They, 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 they look like girls. And I said, yeah. And he goes, the scary thing is some of them look pretty. And I was like, whoa, Dad, time out. So I remember going through and looking at stuff, and I remember brand new, right? Brand new in the faith, just giving my heart to Jesus and going directly home after that church service and looking around that space and going, this is disgusting. I got up in the morning and thought it was fine. (laughs) But when I came home, I found it to be disgusting. 
My youth pastor never had to tell me. My pastor never had to tell me. No one, no adult in the church, had, no one had to tell me anything. But my thinking was being made brand new by the work of God in my life. I knew zero theology. I knew zero Bible. I knew zero anything. I didn't know my Old Testament from my New Testament. I didn't even know there was such thing as a testament. All I knew was I stepped back into this space that I in the morning thought was okay, but by the afternoon I was like, this just isn't, this, I don't want to do this anymore. So I literally that afternoon took everything off the walls, everything out of my closet, and I got rid of all of it. And on that Wednesday, the first time I went to any sort of youth group, I went up to the youth pastor and I said, hey, whatever happened to me on Sunday? And I told him what I did when I went home. And he took me over to his dad, was the pastor, and he said, guess what this guy decided to do? And, I, he, and my pastor said, who told you that that wasn't appropriate? I said, no one? What did you read to say that that was inappropriate? Nothing? I just simply went home after this experience with Jesus at church that I don't even know how to define that, and I just went home and it, I thought differently. And then over the coming weeks, I couldn't stop reading the book of Matthew. And then I got locked into the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And I started to discover that Jesus was making my perspective of the world brand new. I had a lot of new thoughts and a lot of new ideas, a lot of new desires, because Jesus had, in fact, done a work in me to make me new. And I know my process. Sometimes I believe that God in those early days in my life had me on some sort of fast track. I don't, I don't know, because some people go through a longer time before they start to realize those things. Some things, it's a little slower. In fact, as I've discovered in 20-something years of ministry and 35 years of following the Lord, I realized that my process was, was a little bit fast. Saved at 15, by the time I was 16, I knew what I was going to do for the rest of my life, and that was this. And I started hanging out with my pastor and my youth pastor. They started letting me teach things. Can you imagine? I was a youth pastor by 18, married by 20, a pastor with three children by 25. Because God had brought newness to my life. And he had done a work in my heart. And the only thing that I had to do was surrender to what was happening. I just had to allow God that space in my life. And all I had to do was keep saying yes. And the more I read the scriptures, and the more I sat underneath the teachings of my pastors, the more I simply said, okay. I didn't fight God anymore. Some things that, that, were, that I thought were, were good and right and some things that I wanted to do, I just simply let those go. I stopped fighting with God. I never argued with him. I just kind of read the scriptures and went, okay, all right. I, uh, mm, seems weird, but all right, let's, 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 let's keep doing this. And I just kept surrendering and allowing these things to take place. And the more mature I became in the faith, honestly, I got to this point where it was a little harder to surrender some things because you start looking at some things in the Scriptures and you go, hmm, that's in there? Now hold up. Oh, wait, time out. And so if you want to experience newness in your life, if there's some things cluttering your mind and cluttering your heart and hindering your process as you move forward in life as a follower of Jesus, or if you're not following Jesus yet, but you're thinking to yourself, man, this world is kind of insane. There's kind of crazy stuff going on. I need something to help me process the world and how do I navigate my role in it. I invite you to consider Jesus and to just look at the world and 
watch the news and listen to everybody's everything, and then go read your scriptures and just read the Bible and understand that this, this story and just start accepting some things. I believe that clarity will start coming to you. I believe that you'll start making sense of things. And you'll start seeing that a lot of what's taking place in our world is because an absence of this book being applied. And you'll see very simple things, like when the Bible says, thou shall not lie. Okay, so just for funsies, what would happen if there was no more lying? What happened in your home if there was never again a lie? And as I was talking with one of you before church, in order for there not to be any lying in your home, you can't have any teenagers because they all lie. And then what would happen in your workplace, your place of employment? What if no one lied at work ever? And then this one, just really for fun. What if all of our politicians told the truth? Boy, how weird would that be? You and I know that our politicians lie because you and I listen like that. We listen expecting a lie. I don't know. I don't know about it. That came out of your mouth, but I don't know. I don't think any of you in the room, no matter what your political persuasion, none of you sit there and go, oh, yeah, yeah. None of you. Because you know that the world is full of liars. Yet you also know that if we would just apply that very simple truth, how many marriages have been destroyed because someone lied? A lot. <laughs> and you can go through all the commands of the Bible that way. But commit the thing today, as we look at this, I want to back up for a second and remind you of this set of teachings. Okay, It's called the, the Articles of Faith in the Church of the Nazarene. And if you're a member of the Church of the Nazarene, you're a member of our church, I've handed you a packet with those articles in there. And in those articles of faith, we have various explanations of what takes place in our life as Jesus works. And what I told you happened to me in 1985 is this doctrine that we teach, the Nazarene Article of Faith, number nine, justification, regeneration, and adoption. These things happen. The justification part we talked of yesterday, that God makes me legally forgiven, I'm no longer held accountable for my sin. I've been justified. But now this next one, this regeneration, that is the making you new part. When God saved me at an altar of prayer and I went home and saw things differently, why did I see things differently? Because the work of the Holy Spirit was regenerating my heart, was giving my heart a new start, a new beginning, a fresh perspective making me spiritually alive to the evils that were around me. So, how do we explain this? We explain this in paragraph 9.1 in our church manual. If you want to know what that is, I'll give you one, or you can have the PDF version. But it says this, We believe that regeneration, that making new, or the new birth, right, John chapter 3, is that gracious work of God whereby the moral nature of the repentant, that's the believer, Okay? As I came to Jesus and I said, I, I surrender of my sin, I surrender my life to you, please forgive me, I repent of that. I turn away from the way I used to live and I turn towards Jesus. The moral nature of the repentant believer is spiritually quickened or made alive. 
and given a distinctly spiritual life, capable of faith, love, and obedience. So when I come to Jesus and I say, please forgive me of all the stupid things that I've done, and Lord, help me for the stupid things that I've yet to do, he moves in my heart in such a way to rebirth my spirit and give me a fresh, new perspective on life that allows me then to trust him, to love him, and to obey him. It's the work of Jesus. It's not me. It's not you. It's not something that we kind of try to behave ourselves better. It's something that we just start to surrender to and say okay to and stop fighting with God about. And we allow him. And if you allow him, he'll do that for you. He'll do that for you. He'll give you a new perspective. I remember newly married, fighting with Susan. Can you imagine somebody fighting with such a sweet lady? Fussing with her over stuff and then coming to the conclusion that I was too selfish to be a decent husband. God, please do a work in me. Now she'll tell you I'm not perfect. But she also will tell you that I took Ephesians 5 very seriously and I said that I will love my wife as Christ loved the church and give my life to her. And that I set out on that goal and God's done that work because I'm a naturally selfish person. But somehow she thinks that I'm a decent husband. And next year, 32 years in, I'm still trying to allow God to work in my heart because that's what Jesus does for us. Now, in a passage of Scripture that we're just going to kind of go past real quick and then settle in on another one, a passage of Scripture that helps us understand that is in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. You don't have to turn there, though you may, but I'm just going to read this, and then I'm going to take you one chapter further into chapter 3, and that's where we'll camp out for our remaining moments together. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 read this way, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcised in your flesh. In other words, dead sinner. When I woke up October 12th, 1985, this is great. I love my space. I love all this stuff. This is me. Yay. My dumb dad keeps bugging me to church, so to shut him up, I'll go. I'm not feeling too good because I consumed some adult beverages at the age of 15 the night before. And, but that's another story, and I kind of got up, kind of, you know, with that kind of, hmm, I don't feel so well. Maybe I shouldn't have drank that. I'm only 15. No human should drink that, but so be it. I did. So I got up, went to church, didn't pay attention to a darn thing that was said. Somehow God did a work in my heart, right? Because that was me when I was dead in my trespasses and sin. My spirit was dead. And by the way, not to get too technical with you, you and I are triune beings. We have three parts to us. We have a mind, we have a body, and we have a soul. Until you come to Jesus, your soul slash spirit is dead. It's dead. You're living by your mind and your body. You're doing whatever you think is right and whatever feels good, and that's the way you live your life. And we do that today, and that's what we're being told to swallow, that, that, that ideology, that whatever your mind, your independent brain, independent of anybody else, whatever you think and whatever brings your body pleasure, you do. And everybody else tolerates you, accepts you, celebrates you, and that's the way you are because your brain and your body are telling you to. But meanwhile, before you come to Jesus, your spirit is dead because you are dead in your trespasses and sin, and so is I, and so is everyone, though our sin may be different. But God made alive together with him, 
having forgiven us of our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. So I deserved judgment and damnation because of my sins. I'm dead in my sins, dead in my trespasses. I am a sinner operating by my brain and my body, and my spirit is dead. I deserve damnation and hell because I rebelled against the Creator's commands. But when I come to Him and I surrender and I admit that to Him, He then takes my judgment and he places it all on Jesus on the cross and I'm good to go. And then he makes me alive with him. And I start to view the world a little differently and you start to change some of your opinions and you start rethinking some things and God begins to make you brand new. And all of your sin and all of your debt, Jesus bore so that you don't have to. So now, This is the main thought of the rest of this message. Our thinking is to increasingly reflect newness of heart and mind. If you have come to the place where you are now a follower of Jesus, you have accepted him, and you are now surrendered to him, and he is working in your life, this is what I pray takes place in your life along your journey. That every day, every month, every year, you increasingly grow in this area. That, ah, that says out. That should say our Um, That should be an R. So our thinking is to increasingly reflect newness of heart and mind. So I ask you again, what's new? What's new this year as compared to last year? What's new between you and Jesus? What's new between you and your family, you and your coworkers? I hope a lot of the way you think is being made new and shaped by the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures. Let's turn in your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter chapter 3, and we're going to work through, a little faster, through verses 1 through 17. And the first thing we discover in verses 1 through 4 is the summary of our living out of our faith as those justified by God. So if you've been justified by God and your spirit has been made alive, and now you are a fully functioning human being, Your spirit is made alive in Christ, you have a renewed mind, and you can now control your bodily urges, thank you very much. So you're now a fully human being, reflecting the image of God. So here's the summary, reading, following along in your Bibles, and again, if you need one, we have plenty in the back. The ESV version from which I am reading is there in the back, and if you need one, we can get you one, or you can get that for yourself. And if you get one of those today, you can take that home with you free of charge. Paul writes this to the church in Colossae, if then you have been raised with Christ, what we just read in Colossians 2, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are of the earth, for you have died and your, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Now, there's a lot that could be said about that. But I just want to focus your attention on one single statement. That statement in verse 2, set your mind on the things above. What in the wide world might that be? What are the things above? Well, according to Philippians 4.8, the things above read like this. I'll just read it to you. Listen, please. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. So as a Christian, we are to fill our minds with things that are true and holy 
and pure fill our mind with those. So, let me ask you, what's new? (laughs) What's filling your mind? What's your mind diet consist of? (laughs) What are you reading? What are you viewing? What are you listening to? What are you dwelling on? Hmm. Hopefully those things. So there's the summary. But then we move into verses 5 and 11 where we notice this truth, that we put to death the earthly. This this is what we do. This is what I did when I became a Christian and I went home. And no one even telling me, just the Spirit of God working in my life. And I go home and I see this stuff everywhere. And it was like, ah, what is this stuff? I don't enjoy this stuff. This is, it was, why do I think differently about this? Don't know. All I know is I'm just compelled to get rid of it. So I did. But you put to death the earthly. Notice verse 5, following along in your own Bibles, please, reads like this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Those things that are cluttering up your mind, those things that are cluttering up your heart. And here's, here's the list. Here's the things that you want to put away. You want to put to death that are in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, evil desire, excuse me, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Hmm. See, here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave-free, but all and all in Christ. So when we say we come to him brand new, and we put to death these things, there should be a lot new. There should be a lot new going on in your life the more you follow Christ. See, our our thinking, notice this this last bit here in verse 11. Here, in other words, in this space that we're following Jesus, this community that's called the church, right? The church community are all those people that have decided to follow Jesus. Now, the church in some places looks exactly like it looks right here. In some places, the church looks radically different. But we're following Jesus, we're part of the church. And then Paul says, in here, in this space, there's not Greek or Jew. Well, who cares about that today? No. There's neither circumcised or uncircumcised. That issue was solved a long time ago. Barbarian or Scythian, no one really, what is that when we read it? Slave or free, we, we think that that means American slavery, and it, it, it doesn't but Christ is all in all. So how how would this read today? How would verse 11 read today? I think that if Paul wrote this verse today, he would say something like or something related to the following. He would say this. Your thinking is not based on your race or your racial background, your ethnicity. Whoa, wait, wait. Huh? But I thought that it was. I thought that the way that I think and operate in the world is supposed to be based upon me being a white, middle-aged, highly educated man. 
Isn't that what I'm told? Oh, you as a white male, you, you fit in this category. You, you, you think this, and if you have a certain level of education, then you're over here. And just by looking at you and seeing that you're a white middle-aged male and then finding out one piece of education, that you have a doctoral degree, you're a highly educated white male, you think this way. I do? Well, that's news to me. I didn't know I thought that way. I didn't know I fit into that category. I didn't know that I have to have that response because I'm a white male. Oh, you're of Hispanic descent, so you must do this and be... Excuse me? There's no space for that in the church. Why? Because no matter what my racial background is, I'm being made new by Jesus. I'm being made new by my Creator. I am reconnected to the one who created me and knit me together beautifully in my mother's womb. And I know because I'm being made new in the image of Jesus and reconnected to my creator, I can look at my heritage, I can look at my natural ways of thinking based upon my social conditioning or whatever else you want to call it, I can reevaluate all that. And I can say what fits with the scriptures and what doesn't. And I can reshape and make new my life and my perspective based upon being recreated with my creator and whether you're white brown black or something else because we're all mixed with something anyway no matter what your religious i mean what your racial demographic is i pray that you're setting all that aside and coming into jesus and saying i need you to make me new i need you to confirm what i have right and i need you to dispel what i have wrong and we need to come together under the basis and the authority of scripture and god no matter what our racial background is you and i are coming to the party to be reshaped by jesus that's the church that's the church. I think he would also tell us that it's not about ceremony. Because that's what this, when he's talking about circumcision or uncircumcision, it's about the way that you celebrate and the ceremony of your life. It's not about that either. It's not about your economic standing. Oh, you're wealthy, so you fit in this category. Oh, you, you're kind of middle class, you fit here. Oh, you're poor, you kind of fit here. This. No, because that doesn't matter because there is neither slave nor free because that was the economic thing. Wealthy people managed their own life in the agricultural society. They were able to have land and feed themselves. And if you didn't have land or you had bad crops or something had gone haywire with your herds, you sold yourself into slavery. In other words, you went down to the local shop and you signed, filled out an application and you said, here. Because any time you go out and look for a job, that's what Old Testament slavery is about, by the way. It means employee, if you want to really look at it. So when you go out and look, a lot, look for a job and you sign the contract... You're signing a contract to go to work for someone, right? You're going to supply a service. They're going to supply you with money, and you can live your life. Hopefully, that includes a 401k of some sort or 403b in a nonprofit sense, and you have that going for you. But in the Old Testament language, when you go to work tomorrow morning and someone greets you and you're, you, you go into the employee parking lot, you'd be going into the slave parking lot. But that sounds horrible. Can you imagine? Employee parking only, and you drive up slave parking only. Huh? Pardon me? See what I'm saying? I mean, never think to put that anywhere. I want visitor parking, you know. But that's what that would be. And then the church is saying, well, how much money you have or don't, ma- don't have, it's all Jesus's anyway. 
It's all God's anyway. If you're wealthy, then well, guess what? You're required to give a lot. Because God has given you a lot, so you better be giving a lot. And by the way, if you own an automobile, you're in the top 2% of wealth in the world. There's two people living in my home and three vehicles in the parking lot. I'm loaded. The F-150 sitting there, a little, I don't know, Ian got in it the other day and there was some trail mix left on the seat. He goes, I didn't know I was getting snacks. I'm like, well, don't eat that. (laughs) And some of you keep your cars really, really clean. I don't know, me, you might get free snacks on the seat. I don't know. Some cars have to sparkle everywhere they go. I don't know about mine. Mine's going to get a little dusty. Then moving on from there to verses 12 to 14, we notice that we put on that which is above. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Hmm. That's an interesting text. Next time you watch the news, put this verse open with your Bible. And watch the news and look at the Bible. We need more of this. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What a wonderful picture that paints, right? And then moving to verse 15, we discover this, that we let the peace of Christ rule in our heart. Notice that word let. Just allow it to. Stop getting the yeah buts with God. When he wants to work peace in your life, yeah, but, well, you don't understand this, and what about that? And Just let this take place. Notice what verse 15 says. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So we were called to be together in this to look for community within the church, and that's what a large part what a church is for, to have a sense of community. Some of us talked about that yesterday. And then finally, verse 16, we let the word of Christ dwell in us. Verse 16 says, the Lord, the, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart. There's a church service. If some of you wonder what's so important about showing up to do this, well, there's the command. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly through teaching and admonishing one another. That's what I pray I'm doing for you right now. And you're already singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And hopefully there's thanksgiving in your heart today as you come to worship the Lord. So the conclusion then is this. As I ask you this question, what is new with you? Maybe you can, or maybe you can't, pass the new you test. The new you test is this. On the next slide, please. Before you act on a thought, belief, or desire, ask these two questions. Number one, Am I in line with the character of Jesus? Hmm. I'm going to go say this to this person. I'm going to go to work tomorrow, and the first thing I do when I see, okay, is that in line with the character of Jesus? Maybe. Eh. What about the second part of this? Are my choices coming from a thankful heart? I'm so mad right now, I'm going to. 
I'm so sad right now I'm going to. I'm so anxious right now I'm going to. Time out. Don't let that control you. You cannot let your anxiety, anger, frustration, depression, you cannot let that control you. I know it exists. It's within me. It's within you. It creeps up on us all the time. But we can't let that control you. And when some of us say, you made me so mad that I, whoa, why are you giving such control over to people? I watched the news and I got so depressed. Why are you allowing them to do that to you? Why are you surrendering to control to people that do not have your best interest in mind, that don't know you, that don't love you, and you're not giving Jesus control of your life? So I know you get anxious, and I know you get depressed, and I know you get angry. I get all of those things too. Sometimes the worst part of my week, you're not going to believe this than I tell you, but I'm going to tell you, sometimes the absolute worst part of my week when I'm thinking about me is Sunday morning. Hmm? Why? A lot of reasons. Some of those are some things that take place in your life, and it just bums me out. Because some of you share with me what's going on in your life, and I get broken for you. And then I watch. When I ask you questions, well, are you consistently praying and going to the Scriptures and letting the Lord, are you passing this test? No. And you're doing all these things that make your problems worse. And then you don't show up here where you can get fellowship and encouragement and prayer and the word. The first thing that people typically do when something goes sideways in their life is stop going to church. And this is the very place that you should go. It's like saying, well, I didn't go to the doctor because I was feeling sick. Pardon me? Yeah, I go to the doctor when I'm feeling great. I, I feel great. I get up in the morning. I go see the doctor. He tells me that I'm a, I get a clean bill of health. I go home. I went to the doctor. This is exciting. This is wonderful. But if I feel bad, if I got some of a stomachache, I got something going on, ooh, I'm not going to go to the doctor. See, there's a spiritual dynamic to that. See, because the enemy of your soul, Satan, knows where you can get help. And you can get help in a community of believers. You can get help where the word of God is being taught. You can get help where people are going to love you and pray for you. You can get help where your racial background doesn't define you, as wonderful as it might be, your economic level, your job. None of that thing. We, we're all one in Jesus. We're all surrendering to the authority of our creator, and we can get help here, and Satan knows that. And so when you have a bad day, the first thing you want to do is stop coming here and stop reading this. Why? Oh, that thought's not coming from you. That thought is coming from Satan directly into your heart. And you're like, whoa, that's freaky. Exactly. So what are you going to let control you? Your flesh, your body, your own mind, the Satan, demonic influences that are everywhere. You want to know the problems that we're facing? The problems that we're facing are demonic in nature. All of them. It's all spiritual oh the world is tricked to think that it's financial it has to do with politics it has to do with money it has to do with oil it has to do with these things it has to do with all, it's demonic evil is what it is we live in a broken evil world that will one day be renewed when god judges sin and removes it and we will live in a renewed state with him and if you want to know how to find evil my thought could be wrong, just me. Follow the money. Jesus says the love of money is the root of various kinds of evil. Hmm. Follow the money. It'll lead you to where the evil is. 
you'll notice the evil of greed and of power and of manipulation and of selfishness and of control. And neither side in our political arena today has it right. They're all wrong because they're all fighting over the same thing, money and control. No. We have to come back to Jesus. Jesus.